body. Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the hour of truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Well, thank you to our regular listeners and those who are new for joining us on Aetherius Radio Live, brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio on the third Tuesday monthly at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. UK Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Let us lift our minds upwards as this hour of truth invites you to discover the cosmic message for this age, revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. Today, on Aetherius Radio Live, your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze, will be continuing their revealing study of Aetherius Society Directives for the coming 1,000 years, Part 3. But, before they start, on Saturday, October 24th, Richard will be interviewed by Kevin O'Sullivan of Talk Radio about the new developments regarding the Calvin Incident file on UFOs due to be released in 2072. Time of the interview has yet to be confirmed, so please visit richardlawrence.co.uk to be updated on these details. So now, as always, it's my great pleasure to hand over to your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Thank you, Nikki. Well, Thank congratulations, you, Nikki. Richard. Congratulations on this um, talk radio. That's a very popular station I know in England, and as you well know, this year began with a bang with revelations about uh, UFOs, did it not, with the Britain's first yes. astronaut, Helen Sharman, and you were, did a lot of uh, media on that. So, it, And then there was, of course, the Pentagon and the Department of Defense revelations, and so it seems as if it's still continuing. Is that true, Richard? I think so. Um, and by the way, it's 10.45. I've just heard before, actually, since I last spoke to Nikki, so she didn't, didn't well, I hadn't given her the time. 10.45 a.m. Um, yes, it has uh, grown. Uh, I mean, I, I think had it not been for the pandemic, it would have been a very, very massively publicized phenomenon this year. It's been publicized a fair amount, as you said, but I think it would have been much more and many embarrassing questions would have been asked of governments and hopefully many good, serious questions would have been asked of us because we are, I'm sure, the biggest international UFO organization, sorry, I should say the oldest international, we may be the biggest, but we're certainly the oldest international UFO organization or society in the world now. Um, I only know of one organization that's actually older than us, there might be some others, and that I think is based possibly in Cleveland, but it's a local, it's not an international uh, UFO organization. So, you know, it, it, we are the place to come. Um, the governments have kind of given up as you rightly say, uh, earlier this year, the American Navy, and they've got to be congratulated for this, did admit, to, I think, two very important things, actually. One, that the sightings that were filmed, and they're still on my website if people are interested in looking at them, uh, were real, were UFOs, and two, that they weren't part of the American inventory or the American Air Force. They weren't devices manufactured by the government in America or the Defense Department. That's a key thing because that's one of the excuses that is used nowadays. We've heard all the excuses over the years. I must give absolute credit to Dr. George King, of course, who was campaigning on this thing, topic in the 1950s. And he was out in Trafalgar Square running a rally in 1958, for example, to get governments to tell the truth. Um, what's happened in the UK, and which I'll be talking about, is that a sighting that was due to be released, I think, in January of, of 2021, uh, because of the Public Records Act here, which is a 30-year rule, it, took, it happened in 1990, this sighting, right. uh, has been postponed until 2072 as Nikki Gosh. mentioned. So we have a, an, out, an overt, absolutely government-admitted cover-up, which I suppose in some strange way is a step in the right direction because in the past we just got lies and a denial. Now at least they are admitting. Now why this is of significance mm. is because there's a man who was a Ministry of Defense official who on the face of it is now a whistleblower, on the face of it, 
I, I knew him. I spoke to him actually on his first day when he started at the Ministry of Defence. And I asked him a question. I said, do, do you actually believe in UFOs? And he said, not particularly. I said, well, you will. Well, and now, I mean, right? he, mm. yes, yes. And yeah. now he, he, he actually is based in America now. But he, he, that's his career, as far as I can gather. He's uh, left the ministry. Some people don't believe he's left the ministry. Some people mm. believe he's still working for the government. Uh, he denies that. I don't know. But let's put it this way. Even if he isn't working for the government, he's serving... I, I would say possibly their purpose because he has come out and said that this particular these photographs, which have been uh, you know covered up for 50 more years, are the best photographs in the ministry files. They're clear. They're explicit. Uh, there were jets nearby also showing up in the photographs, and that he was told by a senior officer in, in military intelligence, senior to him in the British government, I, I think in the Air Force, uh, that, or the Army, I'm not sure which, but this individual told him that this was not from the, and again we have a similar thing here, not from the American Air Force, not from the British Air Force, that these Air Forces had nothing that could do the feats that this did. It's, its speed, its maneuverability, shot off, it hung in the sky and then shot off at great speed. Um, and that it actually came and then he pointed up to the sky, in other words, from outer space. So you have a former official who worked in the UFO department at the Ministry of Defense in, Brit in Britain saying that there's photographs of a, of a craft that came from, he was told, other planets. So it's a strange thing. I mean, I, I could surmise that this is the way the British government are choosing to do what the American government did a few months ago, namely release the fact that they know about UFOs without, and this is typical, if it's true, this is typical of Britain, without them having to answer any questions about it. Because oh, they right, can just yeah. leave it to Nick Pope, you see. They, they're not going to get asked in a press conference because they, they can say, well, this is all classified, we can't comment, and, and so on. I mean, I think it's odd that if Nick Pope isn't either working for them or approved by them, that he's being allowed to carry on doing this because it, there's an official secrets act in Britain, and you'd think that that kind of information yeah. would be uh, covered by it, and yet he's openly publishing it in the biggest selling newspaper in Britain, which is The Sun, written an article about it. So it's all part of the sort of, I think, government starting to come clean, trying to wash their hands of it, which I suppose it's a good thing that they're admitting it more and maybe lying a bit less, but it, and, and they can't handle it because they don't know. They, I mean, and, it's, and nor is it coming from prime ministers and presidents. I mean, the president, I mean, President Trump was actually asked, I think, two or three weeks ago about UFOs and has pledged to get to the bottom of it if he gets elected um, and hasn't dismissed it at all. He said he doesn't know what, what, what these, these UFOs are that the Navy have reported on. Um, we'll see. Um, but I think this is maybe the British way of doing the same thing. Do they give any reason why they've moved it to 2072? I mean, that's a strange sort of no. time frame. It's very hard to sort of find out because these things get released through an, a, a place here in, in London, a park called Q, actually, which is the National Archives. And there are some sort of boffins who spend a lot of time uh, and research looking through these files that have been released under the Information Act. And so I, all that happens uh, that I know of is that these things come out and then they're sort of marked for release in 2072 and they get redacted. There's been a redacted release. In other words, covered oh. up with black ink so you can't read much. And yeah. some very blurred image of a photocopy of the photo, one photograph, which Nick Pope has colored in. Um, and that's sort of been in the newspaper. But uh, no, I mean, the last thing I think the British government want to do is start talking about UFOs because they have no answers, no policy, and no idea. But then, um, you know, I, I must come back to Dr. King because he was on this and the Cosmic Masters through him were on this back in the 50s. And you know, Chrissy, because you and I have run UFO or flying saucer campaigns uh, here and in right. America. 
and it, it's a long-standing thing and our record I think the Ethereum Society's record on this is second to none in the world I would say so yeah absolutely and Richard um, talk radio I know it's a big radio station do you think people in America can listen to it uh, I mean is I there... think so I mean it, yeah. it's going to be linked up on my website and I think oh, you can they great. claim talk radio say that they're the fastest growing radio station in the world um, and they, they, I suppose they must have some grounds for saying it uh, because they keep repeating it over the air and uh, you know, I don't think you could yeah. do that if it was completely untrue um, and they're a great station I mean I go up there with my good friend James Whale from time to time he's not well unfortunately but he's still broadcasting and I've appeared with uh, another interview there Penny Smith and um, this will be with uh, Kevin O'Sullivan well, great. So perhaps in a week or so, people can go to your website, uh, richardlawrence.co.uk, and listen to the interview, which I know will be yeah, awesome. Yeah, you can, yeah. It, yeah. It'll be up on, hopefully, up on Saturday. Yes. If you great. go to Talk Radio itself, you can also hmm. get a visual. Um, but I think it's possible that through my website, it'll, it'll only be audio. I'm not sure. But yes, you can. Okay. Well, we'll see what great. happens. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well done. I'm, I mean, well I have been. Well, it hasn't happened yet, and uh, you know, I have on occasions been edged out of interviews um, uh, because some mysterious thing happens and yeah. somebody comes along. And once it was uh, Robert Maxwell, if you remember, or people know who he yeah. was, he suddenly turned up when we had a release, you might remember actually, of, of, of proven UFO activity uh, from the government, Gorbachev government in Russia, and he rolled up just as I was about to go on the air to the TV studio, and I was edged out, and he claimed he had something to say. Uh, so you never to quite know, but we'll see. Was that, the, was that the one with the rock left behind and the boy that was dematerialized? Yes, yes. That, yeah, that one. I that, know one. that one. It well. was that one. Yeah, I brought, yeah, yeah, you remember that, that one. I brought that one to Britain, and it uh, was about to go out when he, when he rolled up, and... Uh, anyway, but I think I went back later, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, fantastic. I'm so glad that it's still continuing. <laughs> That's the thing. Well, it always will, let's face it. But anyway, uh, Richard, and, and the one, penny one... needs to. I'm sorry. No, I was, oh, sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to say the penny needs to drop, though, uh, because the, it raises questions, and who can answer that, those questions? And only a genuine contactee can answer them. And unfortunately, there's lots of false claims out there which muddies the waters and doesn't bring everyone straight to us. But our, our record, as I said earlier, is there's no, there's no one like us. There's no one who's been doing what we've been doing as long as we've been doing it consistently around the world. Absolutely true. Thank you, Richard. And that brings me to another point, actually. <laughs> on the, uh, and this is something that we talked about in the last show that was on our master's mediumship, because, you know, he took this, obviously, this transmission from the master of Theorius and uh, yes. many hundreds of other transmissions. And he, of course, as we know, had many years of uh, training and strict yogic discipline. Um, and I'd like just to ask you a few things Richard because this is a topic about which I hear frequently in the New Age movement in the US and it's probably the same throughout the world and because of your yes. own background in mediumship Richard um, and you're the first to admit that your own experiences are not on a par with those of Dr. King but your messages no. are very specific and sometimes quite brilliant and I've witnessed you taking complex messages in a matter of minutes. So what I'm saying is that you have the validity, you have the authenticity as a medium. And I think, therefore, you can discuss these topics in a way that other people can't. And this is something that's well, coming up a lot recently. And one thing I wanted to ask you is the, the way that our master receives messages and the way that you receive messages, how, how does this happen? Well, uh, you're absolutely right not to put me and Dr. King in the same breath because he is, you know, streets, I mean, who knows, maybe millions of years ahead of me, I'm sure he is, and it's a different thing. What I have realized, like in the, in the last week, funnily enough, it's funny you should bring this up because often when we talk about Dr. King's mediumship, we describe it as a, a transmission of thought 
which is translated yeah. into English because he's an Eng English person and so it, it, the English language is in his brain and so it's translated into English. And that's true, but it could be misleading to some people because it's not just that there's like a, a, a sort of a, 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 a thought which is free of all language, as it were, that he then receives and then he introduces or his brain introduces the language. If that was the case, all the different communicators would be exactly the same kind of language. The Master Jesus, the Master Etherius, Master Sector 6 and so on would all speak with the same type of language. They don't. So for example, those people know the Twelve Blessings and there's quite a lot of 17th century English in there, sort of King James Bible type English used by the Master Jesus, obviously deliberately, uh, maybe for reasons of power, uh, or, or, or he, the may, I'm sure there are reasons, um, and I could only guess at what they might be or, or suggest what they might be, but that's one type of language. The Master Etherius speaks in a very colloquial language that's very easy to understand and often uses idiosyncratic sort of English phrases and sayings and I don't know whether he's ever used this, but a thing like a Johnny Come Lately or a, you know, a sort of more colloquial type personable language, which he's chosen to use and so on. And Mars Sector 6, very terse, very, very uh, succinct, and yet it's all there in just a few words. Again, his own type of language. Now, all of that would suggest to me anyway that they are imbuing their thought emanations with a certain type of language as well as just pure thought. Because Dr. King is conversant with the English language, and for example, as a boy, he would have definitely read the King James Bible, um, and probably since. And in that sort of language, he'd have studied Shakespeare probably, and so he'd be familiar with that, and he'd also be familiar probably with some of the sayings that the Master of Theories is using. So they can draw on that reservoir from his English language brain, as it were, um, terrestrial brain, because he was in a terrestrial body, and use it. Um, I, I think that's rather different than seeing it just as an abstract emission of thought. It, it's, it's both. It is a transmission. It's a beam, actually. But it is imbued with certain language. Now, in his case, as we know, he elevates his consciousness and he's able, he's entered samadhi, which I am incapable of doing. Let me absolutely make that really clear. And then that beam is placed upon a certain chakra. And I've said before, I don't know of any medium in history who's ever described that condition. I, I don't know whether there is one. Um, if there is one who's done it, I don't think they've spoken of it. All the mediums I've heard have talked in a much vaguer manner and not nearly that precisely. Um, so it, in that case, what it means is two things. One, Dr. King is able to enter a much more elevated condition and therefore bring through much more elevated communicators, number one. And number two, he's able to be much more accurate. Now, in my case, I do what I think a number of mediums do or try to do, uh, and that is to receive thought emanations and thought emanations with language. I mean, I will say just occasionally words are used in communications uh, with Dr. King, through Dr. King, and uh, in a lesser way with myself, which we don't know. And I think I've right. mentioned before that when writing the biography, a number of words, uh, I would say 20 to 50 probably words, came up as I was writing it, which I didn't know. As I wasn't in any a mediumistic state, by the way, I wasn't attempting to channel at all, but right. certain words came up and we had to look them up sometimes in a dictionary and they guided sometimes the way the book was written, even though we probably didn't use the words because if I didn't know them, the breeder probably wouldn't and therefore it would be difficult reading, but they still helped to guide the book. Now those words came from somewhere. Uh, but in my case, it was a combination. See, since I've done it, as you said now for decades, I've done it for something up to 40 years and you were there um, Chrissy at the very beginning a lot when I was first channeling and yeah, entering a, yeah. as a mild trance state actually which I 
stop doing because it wasn't a good thing to do, I found. But, uh, but we did get some messages, or I did, and you were there, and Alison, my wife, and one other, and we had a little circle. And, yeah. you know, it sort of developed from there. But then I moved on because I didn't have much control. I found I was losing some... By, by entering a sort of mild trance state, I shouldn't have done it because Dr. King's actually warned very explicitly about it anyway. I was losing some control over the condition. So I don't... And he enters a positive trance state, Dr. King, I'm not capable of that. So instead of that, what I do is a combination of, you might say, telepathy and clairaudience. And right. that's how I started. Now, I, when I do it now, I don't really think about it. I don't, you know, it's a bit like, for people listening, it, you know, you, you use your memory and you use your imagination. They're two different mental faculties. Unless you have a mental health condition of some kind, you know the difference between them and you know when you're remembering something and so on and uh, you enter that mental condition you don't have to describe how it's done and so i that's what it's like for me now with channeling i sort of i, I recognize it i know what mode i'm in at that point it's deliberate it's it's controlled um, i can s switch it off if i and on i'm not in any trance per se anyway it might be a very mild one but it's it's certainly controlled and I, but when I started out, though, and because I did make one or two mistakes in the early days, I set out to really tie it down with clairaudience and telepathy. Now, the clairaudience, which is psychic hearing, it's not, you're not physically hearing anything, but as well as getting the message, you're also getting a sound, uh, an impression of a sound, shall we say, of a voice. And... So then you know, that was how I developed the way of knowing that it didn't mm. come from me, it wasn't my imagination, it was coming from outside of me. And, the, and there are other ways of doing it. You can do it by clairsentience, by feeling, by feeling the presence. You, could, you might even have clairvoyance, you might see the person who's talking to you. I've experienced that too. Some psychics experience it a lot. But I want to stress one thing, it takes very, very intensive concentration and very very hard work as far as I'm concerned and that's how I can say that I'm I'm not gonna say I'm a hundred percent accurate but I'm very accurate you know I'm accurate enough to, to be confident of anything for example that I put on my website but I don't think many people are and to, I know that sounds arrogant and you know people can question it by all means but it's something Dr. King said a long time ago, and it's quite shocking, actually, what he did say about the amount of accuracy that most mediums have. It can be quite low. Uh, doesn't mean they aren't sincere, good people, but they haven't really worked hard enough, maybe, or even thought it was necessary to apply their concentrated powers to the point where they can be really accurate. Excuse me, really accurate. So what they're getting is partly... Um, a message and partly their own thoughts or their own imagination now with Dr. King of course when he took a cosmic transmission in other words he, the, the ones that are recorded like the 12 blessings the 9 freedoms he had no memory of it afterwards he, he had managed to surpass his conscious mind I don't mean block out his conscious mind I mean surpass his conscious mind so much that he wasn't you know, thinking about it at all while he got it up to the point that he couldn't even remember it. Now, you know, when I'm not at that level. I say that over and over again. But I do go out of my way and work very, very hard to avoid even thinking about the message I'm getting until afterwards. I just think about the words I'm receiving. That's so helpful, Richard. Especially for people, <laughs> you know, who are starting out on developing themselves psychically. And, um, yeah. you know, it's, I know there's a lot of people, and I just want to bring this up because I, I talk to people who say that, oh, they found this great medium and so on. And but because yeah. they, they channel the information, they seem to believe it's true. And I try and play the devil's advocate. Mm. Well, well, have you, you know, yeah. what's the person's background? What's their experience? What's their discipline? And all of these things. And they look at me as if I'm kind of crazy <laughs> because, oh, well, they channeled yeah. it so so I think discernment is so important and a person's authenticity and the fact that well, you have been doing it for decades now and I've witnessed 
a few of your messages over the years, which uh, and the fact that you you sort of double check yourself. I think this is so important too. I've taken messages, I and I think I probably ten percent is is ninety uh, percent is probably me, and ten percent is you know what I get. Well, I wouldn't I know go that very, far, very Christy. That's, that's that's very humble of you to say. It probably isn't no, quite I, that. But. I, I know. Part of it is my imagination and part of it is through me. I, I know that. I haven't And that could be it. good. I mean, let me say, there's a lot of unconscious channeling goes on. I mean, and there are even sort of musicians and uh, poets and writers and certain artists and so on who are, without realizing it, being overshadowed partially and it helps their work, and if it helps their work and the, the results are good, it doesn't really matter. And they don't really maybe know which is them and which isn't. And that happens to me too. You know, it happens to everyone. Sometimes an inspired thought will pop into your mind, which turns out to be right, and you don't really always know, especially if you're driving a car, you haven't got time to sort of find out, and you may not find out where it comes from, and I think that's absolutely fine to do that. Uh, I think we all do that from time to time because the two things go together, your own inspiration and the more inspired you are, the more you can be used as a channel as well. But that isn't enough for me when it comes to channeling. For me, I have to tie it right down. I have to know who it is and I've worked very, very hard at it. I've been trained by Dr. King. I've talked to him, especially in the early days, a lot. I made some mistakes, as I mentioned earlier, and he put me right on them, uh, but he encouraged me to continue. And I did check in with him. For example, when he got the Freedom of the City of London, I got a message I felt from Winston Churchill uh, for him, and I presented it to him. And he read it and found it very interesting. Now, he was careful. He didn't say to me, that was Winston Churchill, because to do that, I think he would have to, being who he was, check with satellite number three or whatever. He would take it, you know, he wouldn't take it, take a risk. He wouldn't guess. Um, and so I'm not offering it as absolute proof, but I, I, I did do things like that. And he said, that's a very interesting and sort of thanked me for it. Um, I made a point of that, and as, so that's an advantage I had that a lot of mediums setting out just don't have. They don't have someone who can put them right if they're really going wrong. And it's quite a dangerous field if you are going wrong because you can yeah. believe all kinds of things. And, and it will lead, not might lead, it will lead to a mental health condition, actually, if you are deluded for long enough as a medium. And I don't want to put everybody off I would like, I, it's not something actually strangely that I particularly recommend people to do. It's something I felt I had to do. I did it. I do it uh, from time to time. I get a lot of communicators, different communicators. I think much more than any medium I can think of as a, at the moment, but I'm sure there may be some. But I seem to get a communicator who'll give me one message and I'll never hear from them again. Magdalena de la Cruz, for example, was one. And I didn't, never heard of her, looked her up. And, and, but the reason that I get those, I think, is entirely because of my connections with the Ethereum Society. I think there are people, a lot of people on the other realms, connected to the Ethereum Society. That's my opinion. Now, this I want to stress is not official Ethereum Society teaching. You can take this or leave this. This is just Richard Lawrence giving what you can regard as his opinion. And that will be fine by me. I don't really mind whether you believe me or not to be honest, but it is happening. And so I get a wide variety of pe- people I've never heard of. I mean, like I think up on my website at the moment, there's a medieval name, which I can't even recall. And I, I think that is because people are very, very interested on the other realms in the work of the Ethereum Society. Wow, that's very interesting, Richard. Um, I just thank you for sharing that. That's very helpful to people as Pleasure. well. But it was very, it's quite an inspiration you had about the way that our master receives uh, uh, communications, transmissions in many different types of English language. It's not something I ever really thought about before. Uh, Very fascinating. So thank you for that. For sort of many, many years, and when I've been giving lectures and doing interviews, I've described the process as, as you know, pure thought translated into in- his English by his right. brain. But I- I've never sort of gone further than that. 
And then it, it just struck me, and I'm a slow learner. It's taken me this long to think it out. Although, if I think about it, it's in the back of my mind. You know, the Master Jesus speaks in one way, and as I'm repeating myself, but they, they do use different languages. And, and there are words given, like flux, like neon in infinitely variable pattern. There are specific phrases, or even, let's say, Gotha, which I understand to be a name that the Master Ethereus chose to use for that particular solar system. And so these words are given to the Master, so it can't just be pure thought. Uh, he's impressed with certain words, but they're using the recesses. I mean, it's much easier. The vast majority, I think, of the language that he's using is somewhere in his own sub, you know, English subconscious brain that they can draw on. That's how I'd put it. Uh, so it, it must be a pure thought beam and somehow infused with a certain type of language. That's how I see it. Well, thank you for that, Richard. It sounds like we should do a, a future show on this topic. <laughs> it's a fascinating topic, and the whole the whole of the Ethereum Society really rests on channeling. We have to remember yes. that because you know yeah. that, that's the essence of the basis of everything we do, including the missions, the channeling of Dr. George King. Absolutely. So let's. Uh, well, thank you for that, Richard. Let's turn now to um, our topic today. Is it halfway through? Mm. Is it Nikki to come through? Oh, halfway through already. Oh, I think it is. <laughs> Nikki's coming through. <laughs> I am indeed. Well, wow, that was quite fascinating. Uh, gosh, that's a new new uh, way of thinking and uh, perspective. So thank you very, very much, Richard and uh, Chrissy, for bringing that up. You are listening to A Series Radio Live with host Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Plays. As already mentioned, um, Richard did confirm now that on Saturday, October 24th, he will be interviewed by Kevin O'Sullivan of Talk Radio at 10.45 a.m. about the new developments regarding the Calvin incident file due to be released in 2072. So there you go. Well, uh, on the extraterrestrials here we are so thankfully for humanity uh, 12 midnight gmt november the 4th we will welcome again into orbit of earth the giant spacecraft we know as a third satellite flooding our world with much needed spiritual energy this spiritual push or magnetization period lasts until december the 10th and during this all spiritual actions performed with selfless motive are enhanced by a factor of 3,000 times you are warmly invited to join us for this potent service to mark the first hour of the fourth and final spiritual push for 2020, which will be conducted by Richard and assisted by Alison and live streamed from the Aetherius Temple in London. So do join us for all services, both live streamed and online during this very important period for spiritual energy outpouring. And details of this are on Aetherius.org. The next Aetherius Radio Live show on November the 17th will be a, what is titled the Saturn Mission Special, when Richard Lawrence will be joined by his guest, Brian Kniep, discussing this amazing mission. So that's it actually for now, so I'm very pleased to return you to your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Nikki. So, Richard, let's uh, begin the, sh the show, the topic of the show, shall we, which is um, part three of Aetherius Society Directors for the next 1,000 years. And yes. in May, we started a series of broadcasts based on the transmission, The Five Temples of God, by the Master Aetherius. And this was given on August the 26th, 1967. The purpose of this transmission was to give to the Aetherius Society our directives for the coming 1,000 years. Since 1967, the cosmic plan has changed exponentially as a result of the actions of the six adepts, especially in Operation Carmelite, and the ongoing performance of several missions by the society which either did not exist at that time or did not exist in their current form. As a result of these missions, the directives by the Master Aetherius in 1967 have been modified in certain key respects, but not all. The essence of this transmission is still a crucial guide to our future, 
hence this series on Ethereum's Radio Live. In part one, we covered the first part of the transmission detailing missions which had already occurred, including Operation Blue Water, Operation Starlight, and the actions of the three adepts on the lower astral realms, including the alien mission and on this realm. To name just one of these, in Operation World Healing, which we covered in depth on Ethereus Radio Live in April, included a number of vital special power transmissions through the three adepts, and a virulent flu pandemic was prevented. During the current pandemic, we have, thank God, been able to continue to perform the cosmic missions, but have not had the three adepts present in physical bodies on our world. One can only imagine how different it would be if they were still among us now. We explained how the earlier instruction to build a shape power temple before 1985 was changed by the other missions which were given to us before that date. So now let's get cracking with part three of this series on our directives for the next 1,000 years. And I would like to begin by reading the next excerpt in this transmission from where we got to last time. Again, the five temples of God, the Master Ethereus. After this has been done, you will then use these machines, the new ones, for some time until you are able, financially and in other ways, to think about the building of the radionic machinery, which eventually will be housed in the Shape Power Temple. You need not wait until the temple is built before you start building this machine. In fact, it would be far better to plan to build this as soon as you feel you can. You will build a special housing for this machine. Shape power will not be necessary in the early stages. Then build this superior machine so that you can tune into satellite number three very effectively. Guide out this energy very effectively, as well as many more essential duties which can be performed by this apparatus. Gosh, yes. So that, I think, is possibly the biggest aspect of this building of the temples. I think it must be. Um, the spiritual energy radiator that would be housed there and its purpose and its functions. So we're familiar in the Ethereosati with having a spiritual energy radiator to radiate out energy from satellite number three. That's happening. That happens from five SERs in every SP this year and in, uh, for a number of years. But in five, the five temples of God, in his commentary, which is outstanding, Dr. King goes in to what the Master of Theorists there calls the many more essential duties as well as that. Not more essential that, 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 than radiating energy from satellite number three, but other essential duties which can be performed by this apparatus. So he outlines the capabilities of the spiritual energy collector and radiator that would have, would have been housed in the Shape Power Temple. And I think this is very, very important. So they are the absorption and radiation of energies from satellite number three, also from individuals praying, in Operation Sunbeam, and very significantly, and this is the one that he just knew about, it's as though he knew this without being told it, really, energy from the Mother Earth herself. So that was his task. Um, now, getting, talking about the energy from the Mother Earth, just for a moment, uh, he was very focused, always focused, it seems to me, on the need to collect and radiate energies from the Mother Earth. Uh, after this transmission was given, of course, very soon after it, um, I, I think it was possibly, well, very soon, it was a matter of a month or two, Operation uh, Carmelite started. He wasn't able to do that. Also, Operation Sunbeam was being developed. The, the equipment built for Operation Sunbeam started to be used then as spiritual energy radiators, uh, both in LA and in London, uh, to radiate energy out during spiritual pushes. So by 1969 in LA and 1971 in, in, in London, we had these spiritual energy radiators 
in place. But they did not have this capacity I mentioned of radiating energy from the Earth. And the master was very focused on that. And he worked on designs to do that function. This is very key, actually, in explaining why these directives in the five temples of God have been changed. As a very, very clear reason why this one has been changed. On January the 2nd, 1972, he visited the Lords of the Flame. Now, that is a broadcast in itself, what that really means. And I do apologize to listeners who don't really know what, that, what I'm referring to there. There is a book called Visit to the Logos of Earth, which explains it brilliantly, beautifully. One of the most beautifully written books, don't you think, Chrissy, you'll ever oh, read? absolutely uh, fantastic, yeah. Yeah, and so if, if you don't have that, please do get that, and I'm sure we'll return to this. But for now, so that we don't get deviated from the topic here, he had this meeting, and it's a very rare thing indeed in history to have such a meeting. And he, he wanted to discuss this capacity built into the spiritual energy radiators of radiating energy from the Mother Earth. Because bear in mind, uh, the Mother Earth was withholding her energies. The initiation had taken place, and we've talked about that, and that was known. But the energy, and you might be interested to know, by the way, that the energy that she is withholding, the energy that she's not releasing, is contained in batteries, I don't know whether you knew that, Chrissy, or not, but it, it, that's I how didn't. she's withholding it. Yeah, it's huh. a staggering fact. So the energy she was given is actually in storage batteries. Oh, gosh. It's a staggering thing. Yeah, yeah. within her. Um, and so that's where it's being withheld. And, and nevertheless, there has to be this gradual release of that energy. It's a very holy, very sacred topic, which... Hardly any organizations know anything about. And if it was just one thing that we knew, and that was the only thing we knew about, it would make us completely uh, unique. And, um, uh, and really, um, not obviously it would make us unique, but it would make us possibly the most important organization on Earth because we're talking about the Mother Earth now, not a human being or even a master, but a, a, a goddess, a planetary goddess. So... He then went to them, and they, the Lords of the Flame, uh, after eulogizing about Operation Sunbeam to him, uh, and that I could talk about separately, but they did tell him to defer his plans for the collection and radiation of energy from the Mother Earth at that time. Now, they ha it, it's amazing, really, the, the way it evolved, and you can see with hindsight, we're now looking with hindsight, how it all developed. Uh, Dr. King was ready to do it then. He was told by them, guided by them, to defer that plan and to do further research. And it would become right. clear uh, just how right they were. Because on July the 28th, 1973, this happened. I'm now reading from Visit to the Logos of Earth. Even though I'd been previously instructed by the Lords of the Flame not to incorporate any circuit into the new spiritual energy radiator capable of collecting energies previously given to the Logos of Earth, later on this day, that's July the 28th, 1973, I received a brilliant flash of illumination and was able to make a rough drawing of what I thought was an antenna system, which I knew at the time had a wave form incorporated into it, which was capable of the reception of spiritual energies which would, would be released by the Logos of Terra, Earth, at a later date. Now, that's an incredible statement. Yeah. Do, can you, Did do you, you know what a wave there, form Christine? is, Richard? I just wondered what, if you know I what don't, a wave form is. Actually, I'm quite glad you asked me that, Chrissy, because I was wondering that myself. And I actually phoned the draftsman who was with uh, Dr. King at the time. That's Michael Scully, actually. Um, uh, he's now an engineering officer in, in the, Ameri the American headquarters. But at the time, he was here, and he was a draftsman, an engineering draftsman, and he drew it. So I asked him, uh, it is classified, actually, what that is exactly, right. the shape and the, and, the, and the materials and so on. It, 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 I, I had an idea, I wanted to find out, and he kindly answered my questions as far as he could remember it, by the way. Um, so I can't go into the details, but what it is, 
it's a way of creating, um, well, I, I can only really repeat what he says, a sort of um, a movement of forces. I don't think I should go any further than that. I'm, right. I do apologize, but Dr. King was very, very strict on uh, you know, releasing this type of thing. But the, the important point about the waveform, however it is done, and whatever it is, is that it is, it, it's, it's a key to the reception of spiritual energies relayed by the Logos of Earth. That's what he came up with that day. And Michael's impression, when I spoke to him last week, actually, and it's only his impression, and, you know, with the Master, one never knows, because he kept his cards close to his chest, and he certainly didn't always tell any of us everything that he knew uh, or thought. But Michael's impression, for what it's worth, is that he didn't really know then what this drawing was for, exactly. He just oh, knew nice. he had to do it at that point. So from there he went on in, into researching um, what is, became known as Plan B of Operation Sunbeam. And again, there's a lot of classified aspects of that I can't go into at all. But what we do know is what it did. And Plan B greatly speeded up Operation Sunbeam and enabled us to perform dozens, actually, of phases a year at one time, um, rather than the speed it had been going at, which was, you know, one, two, three, or four over several years, it was going pretty slowly, and he wanted to speed that up. And in that research, which was going on in the 1970s, for, for several years, he made key discoveries. And, uh, and I'm going to again read from Visit to Logos of Earth, because it's, uh, it's much safer if I read stuff that he's published. And it, <laughs> trouble is, right. you know, and I do know things, I, I have to be very careful. But this is what he wrote. I was able to recognize this device. Uh, he's talking then about the drawing I just mentioned that he'd drawn six years earlier. And, he's, and this was in now, uh, in 1979. So he's six years later, he said, this, he said this, I was able to recognize this device, which if incorporated with a receiver coil, which we had used with success in the old method of operation Sunbeam throughout the years, was capable of the reception and controlled direction of energies released by the Logos of Earth. This was not only an antenna, but almost a complete collection and radiation device. Now, this is a key sentence, and this is from Visit to the Logos of Earth a much more definite procedure, by the way, than that originally designed for the apparatus for the future shape power temple. Ah, oh, so key here. this is why it's, it's, it's an it's a in-depth... I mean, the Ethereum Society is worthy of incredible in-depth study. It's inc very... I want to say to all our listeners, it is very, very rewarding and proves... The advancement, and it is advanced, and the depth of knowledge contained in our teachings. Uh, and you don't need to know the sort of technical uh, facts, really, that I have to withhold because they're classified in order to understand the enormity of what happened here. So just to recap on it, he went to the Lords of the Flame in 1972. They told him, defer this until you've done further research. Then out of the blue in 1973, he got this device, this design, I should say, which incorporated a particular waveform. Then he carried on other research in connection with Sunbeam and came up with other discoveries, which he could also incorporate and combine with that waveform in another piece of apparatus or combination of apparatus, which he then felt would be superior to the spiritual energy radiator that he was going to design for the temple. In, the, in that function, that function yeah. you know, of energy being released by the Mother Earth, which must be one of the greatest of all the functions that, that we could possibly do, because she's withholding it. And if we are helping in some tiny way to gradually, very gradually release it, then this is just a wonderful thing, is it not? Absolutely. So I mean, it's fantastic. It's, it's also fantastic, isn't it, that the Lords of the Flame had asked the Master to defer this, his plans. Yes. So obviously they were yes. able to look into the future and see what was going to happen somehow. And this exactly right. And that, that's right, exactly right. And they did it again because he went back to see them again in 1979 with the new 
designs, and I know we're not here doing a broadcast on Operation Earthlight. I think we should sometime. But um, he 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 went back to see them in 1979. Now he'd done this with the with the the designs that he now had, and they accepted them. So that was that. But they said that he should regard them as a pattern for others to follow. And that's absolutely, again, for those who are familiar with Operation Earthlight will know that it was later taken up by the Great White Brotherhood. So that's another prophetic statement by the all-knowing Lords of the Flame. And the Master himself didn't know. He didn't plan that. He was planning in the 1980s and even, I think, beyond. Well, certainly in the 1980s, let's just leave it at that, for... Um, the Ethereum Society to do this, but it was in 1990 that it, it was handed over to the Great White Brotherhood. Um, also, of course, I should add that by 1981, which is again ahead of the temple deadline of 1985, if you remember, for the first temple to be up with this right. shape, this power stabilization station, the Saturn mission started. And an element of the Saturn mission, and we're going to do a, a full feature, as Nikki mentioned, next month, Brian, Kniep, and myself on this uh, special, but a key element of that is the release of energy from the Mother Earth. That's a part of the modus operandi of the Saturn mission, and it's, it's different from Operation Earthlight, but it does mean that we are engaged in some way in a mission where energy is released from a psychic center of the Mother Earth. Fantastic. Once again, examples of how the Mother Earth is at the center of our cosmic missions and spiritual activities. Yes, absolutely. And how the Master himself seemed to know what was required without being told. Yeah. Which is also amazing. Yeah, it shows so much about our Master, the way he worked, you know, that and yes. he he had this wonderful way of recalibrating his own plans, <laughs> already remarkable. And his, he had this yes. continual desire, didn't he, to improve, enhance something that already seemed to be perfect. It's like a he did. Amazing. I mean, it's it, it's quite a bold statement to make, really, that he actually improved the cosmic plan. Yeah. But you'd have yes, to say that he did, really. And, you know, something we haven't mentioned much is Operation Prayer Power. Well, you know, that was an element of the Shape Power Temples, too. We're going to come on to that more later. But, you know, the prayer team element or the people element, which is very important with the Shape Power tele- Temples, in sending out energy, would have been part of it. Uh, but with, op- with Operation Prayer Power, you've got two big advantages over that. One, of course, we know that the energy is stored. And boy, if we've ever seen that being proved, it's value proved, it's been this year, especially, in, I can say, in the UK, because over here, we weren't able to do charging sessions for months. And yet, because right. we had stored energy, we could send at least some energy out during spiritual pushes. Um, and that's right. proved, that alone proves uh, Operation Prepper. But the other element, of course, being the fact that when we release energy in Operation Prepper, it's manipulated by the masters themselves. And we don't really know, there's no mention anyway, that in the Shape Power temples that that would have happened with the energy being invoked by prayer teams and so on in the temples. So uh, he's catered for all the elements, the prayers, the individual human prayers, the release from the Mother Earth and the release to the Earth, the release from satellite number three, and if you add all these up, you can see that this plan, outlined by the Master Theorist, has been implemented, but in a superior way, in most respects, in the big respects. Not probably in the publicity respect, actually, but that's a minor thing compared to the power of the missions. Absolutely fantastic, yeah. <laughs> So, thank you very much for that, Richard. Um, shall we continue? Let's continue. The five temples of God. Yeah. Yes. When this has been done, and you have become familiar with its use, it will be a time to seriously think about building the Shape Power Temple. This, then, will be another great project for you. 
When this has been done, the machinery can then be moved into this temple and can be used very much more effectively because of the tremendous powers of the temple itself. Would you like to comment on that, Right. I really would, because I have a personal interest, to be honest, in this. Because in August 1990, which, as an aside, by the way, is exactly when this UFO sighting that I'm going to be talking on the radio about uh, occurred, but that's a by the by. The by. Um, in August 1990, we had several meetings of the Board of International Directors at the time, and some engineering officers were present as well. And uh, towards the end of it, uh, Dr. King gave an opportunity to the, all the directors to pose a question to the master of theories if it was necessary. And he didn't say, you have to do this, and I don't right. think anyone did it other, other than myself. And, um, this is, and, the, and Dr. King agreed that this question could be posed to the master ethereus and the question was this in a cosmic transmission delivered by yourself on august the 26th 1967 you stated that the positions of the second third and fourth temples would be revealed to myself and then revealed to the membership of the ethereus society if sufficient karma was manipulated would you care to make a further comment about this subject at this time and that was, of course, Dr. King speaking to the Master Ethereus. That was the question that I had suggested he kindly agreed to pose. Um, because I felt this is something we, we wouldn't know what to do uh, without it. And this was the answer, Master Ethereus. Yes, most definitely. The first and second temples, when you are in a position to do so, can be built in America, anywhere in America, and England, or anywhere in the British Isles if you wish. Strategic positions are not necessary any longer. What is necessary is to keep away from natural fault lines. When you are in the position to start, you may do so in America or in England, whichever is possible to you. After you've built the first two temples, no matter where they are, then I'm sure it will be revealed to the international directors, if necessary, where the others may be erected. May I stress this, please? In the future, it has to be the missions first, spreading the teaching secondly, and other matters after that. So in that answer, he'd done a few things, and I know we're running out of time here, but he had taken away the deadline. There is no deadline right. there, and he'd taken away the priority. And again, I think this is a tribute to what we were saying before about how the master had exponentially improved in a way certain of the aspects of the cosmic plan so that they were no longer necessary for that aspect and then coming up with this sentence one we often quote it has to be the missions first spreading the teaching secondly and other matters after that i think he was as well as giving us a, a really a, a mission statement for the future he was saying that the building of the temples now is is after that comes because the missions are functioning with the teaching second, and then come the temples. And he's virtually, I think, relegating it into that third category, while saying can still be done, but there's no in indication as to when, and there's a kind of a mystery left as to how, if it is necessary, the international direction directors will be told where to build uh, the third, fourth, and fifth temple. Uh, that's an interesting one to peruse, yeah. but I think we've run out of time, Chrissy. Yeah, can I just say one last thing? That was a very crucial question you asked, Richard, because so much was revealed, wasn't it, by the Master of Theories because of that question, was. which presumably we wouldn't have known. Um, in fact, the entire yes. plan changed. So it, it's interesting that the first shape power temple, Master of Theories mentioned it's necessary to keep away from natural fault lines, I believe. Um, yes. So that's interesting yes. because... Obviously, it wouldn't be Los Angeles, for example, because so unless something so, changes, yes. Yeah, since the and San Andreas fault line slices right through Los Angeles County, so that yeah. there's many yeah. much food for thought in in your as a result of your question. Indeed, yeah. And my question, so to be honest, came mainly from worry because I was engaged in that last ten years, as much if not more than anyone, in assisting the master to to plan the future. Uh, in, in you know, coming up with every possible eventuality that we might need the voice to answer, because when the voice is gone, nobody can answer it. 
Uh, although the master of theorists leaves it open there that somehow the directors might be yeah. told. So that leaves an interesting opening. Very fascinating, yes. Well, thank you so much, Richard. Thank you, Chrissy. And thank you, Nikki. And thank you to our listeners. Well, absolutely. It's absolutely riveting. And I, I, by the way things are going, it would appear that uh, the, uh, this subject will be going well into part four at some point. So, yes, so thank you both so very much, Richard and Chrissy, for sharing your inspirational sights and amazing revelations for the exciting future of the Ethereum Society. You have been listening to Ethereum Radio Live, which is your cosmic connection the third Tuesday of each month. Please do join us next month on November the 17th, when Richard Lawrence, as he's mentioned, when Richard Lawrence will be joined by his guest, Brian Kniep, discussing the very all-important um, show uh, mission called the Saturn Mission Special. Visiting Ethereus.org will provide you with details of the intensive program of extra online services and live streaming from the Ethereum Society temples in London and Los Angeles, together with its regular weekend online 12 Blessings services at 12Blessings.org. For further information and full details of various publications and audio titles that are also available as e-books, CDs or downloads can also be obtained from our website. You are welcome, as always, to connect with Chrissy Blaze and Richard Lawrence by visiting their respective websites, chrissyblaze.com and richardlawrence.co.uk. We hope you enjoyed listening to a serious radio live and we look forward very much to your company next month.